The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. See, on? You can hear me okay? Yeah, great. Thank you. Ah, welcome. Welcome. So, how many of you are here tonight for the first time at IMC? Show of hands. Keep your hand up. One person. One person. Welcome. Welcome. So, um, also, since tonight's talk is the first in a four series on Satipatthana Sutta, um, I wonder how many of you have specifically come because of that topic and how many have come because it's Thursday night. So how many have come be spe specifically because of Satipatthana? A show of hands. Okay, a fair number of people. Okay, great. And the rest, I assume, is a Thursday night crowd. Great. Excellent. So, um, so tonight is the first night of the four-week series. And... Uh, and I, I one more question. So how many of you have um, either studied or at least read the Satipatthana Sutta? Can I have a show of hands? Okay, a few people. Okay, great. How many people have heard of it prior to this? Okay, more. Okay, of course. Great. Just trying to get a sense of my audience, like how, how, where am I directing the talk? So, and also at any point, if you have questions, just raise your hand and then we'll make it interactive. I want to make, make sure it's, it's interesting and relatable to everyone, not just an intellectual exercise on, on studying the sutta. So, so um, the Satipatthana Sutta um, is known as the direct path to realization. And it's a very important uh, set of teachings, core practices, and core, core set of instructions uh, for realization. And uh, the sutta is very dense. There's a lot in there. And uh, uh, a couple of years ago, Joseph Goldstein gave 46 talks on Satipatthana Sutta. And we're going to be doing four. <laughs> so... We're going to be just scratching the surface, barely. So there was a lot that's going to, to remain unsaid. And, uh, and tonight we'll be talking uh, about um, sort of the setup a little bit, a little bit of introduction, uh, an overview. And also I'll be talking about the first foundation of mindfulness. Um, and I might have prepared too much material, given that it's dense, may not cover everything, but... I would like to leave time for questions at the end to make sure it's interesting. So, first of all, why, why study? Uh, why be interested in Satipatthana Sutta? In the words of the Buddha, in his words, um, and he's a pretty reliable source, um, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for overcoming of sorrow, and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and distress, for the acquiring of the true method, and for the realization of Nibbana. That sounds great. And anyone with uh, pain and distress in their lives? Anyone? Yeah, I mean, it's a trick question. It's, right? it's a human condition. We all have it. So, Hey, if these uh, practices are for disappearance of pain and distress, sign me up. Tell me what they are. So if you're not motivated yet. Um, so the, um, the structure of the, uh, the sutta is such that um, uh, there are four main parts to it, to the contemplation. Body, feelings, or feeling tone the mind, and mental objects. And for every set of, of instructions, for example, the body has six specific instructions about contemplating the body. Um, feelings have two specific instructions. Dhammas have five. Um, I, I missed one. Oh, I guess I mentioned all body, feelings, mind, and dhammas, or mental objects, have five. And between every set of instructions, there is a refrain. And which we will talk about next time, but just to give you a sense of the, the, the structure of the Satipatthana Sutta before we get into it. 
And at the very beginning, um, there's also a description. There's a description at the beginning, which repeats at the very end. So this description talks not about what the contemplation objects are. Those are covered in detail, body, feeling, mind, etc. But how to do it, how to go about it. So let's talk about that how which is the attitude that one brings to this contemplation, which is just as important. For example, if you go, um, if, if you, uh, um, um, if you um, go to the theater or, or say, get a, um, a script, uh, a theater script, um, the, if the lines are just red on the stage, they'll be very flat, right? There is a way in which the lines need to be delivered, particular emotions, particular way, particular staging. So this is the how of um, how these um, uh, um, practices, how these instructions need to be done. So with further ado, without further ado, um, in the words of the Buddha, in regard to the body, for example, a monk abides contemplating the body diligent, clearly knowing, mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world, in regard to the mind, feelings, mental objects, so all the other three also, a monk, or a practitioner rather, abides contemplating the body diligent, clearly knowing, mindful, free, free from desire and discontent in regard to the world. Okay, so four things to keep in mind, right? Four ways to bring attention while we do these contemplations that I will get into. So the first one was diligence. The word is atapi. What is diligence? So diligence... In, in this context, is a balanced, a very balanced, but sustained application of energy. And that's really important distinction, especially for us Westerners, because we can get too tight, because we can have way too much energy. We want to do it right. We want it so much that too much effort can actually block our progress. So atapi is not you know, sitting in your seat and really working hard. And, you know, if, if you're doing that, if you, if you um, notice you have ache in your back and, and your forehead and just your neck is hurting, that's not atapi. That, that's wrong effort. It's too much effort. So atapi is, is a relaxed uh, but sustained. And the key word is sustained. Bringing the attention back. Noticing it has gone. Ah, bringing it back. Noticing it has gone. Ah, bringing it back. Every moment, every breath. Sustained, sustained. You fall down, you get back up again. Sustained, sustained. That sustained um, energy, application of energy, is atapi, is diligence. Okay? So that's number one in terms of attitude. The number, t- number two is, uh, is sampajanya, wisdom, or clearly knowing. And that is a process of illumination, so being very clear about what is being observed, a sense of illumination, a process of gathering information by mindfulness, so a sense of clarity, clearly knowing the objects, um, instead of just, you know, just observing them, sort of letting them go, bringing the sense of clarity. The third one is mindfulness, which ties in with sampajanya wisdom. So mindfulness basically plows the field, tills the field, makes it ready for sampajanya. And mindfulness is a calm and detached observation, sense of calm, very calm, detached sense of observation, which is also thought of as a way to gather information see what is out there, gather information about the object of contemplation on which then Sampajanya clearly knowing then illuminates and becomes more clear. Um, Mindfulness also has the, um, as I mentioned, the preparatory role of of, uh, gathering information, preparing the the, the field for Sampajanya as well as guarding the sense doors. That's another uh, function 
of mindfulness. So while you're contemplating these various four satipatthanas, with mindfulness, guarding the sense doors so that the mind doesn't get distracted into visions and feel and and, and uh, sensations. Um, the last one, the last of the four that I mentioned, was free from desires and discontent in regard to the world, and that's a um, that's another way of saying having mental renunciation, letting go of desires and discontent. So, and mental renunciation is also code word for concentration. So, again, energy, clear knowing, mindfulness, and concentration are the four, four ways for, to, to do the contemplation of the various objects that we will be talking about. Any questions so far? Okay. Oh, um, I did, yeah. I I, I will talk about it in the third week quite a bit. So if if it's okay right now, well, so mental, let's just keep it as mental objects at this point. So so the conversation will get more and more refined as as the week. So is it okay to hold on to that question until third week? Okay. I'll, I'll speak so much about it, you'll be sick and tired of it that, by then. <laughs> so, so now, let's uh, briefly talk about the structure before we talk about the body. So, um, so satipatthana, what does satipatthana mean? What does the word mean? So sati, mindfulness. And um, Venerable Analio um, thinks that upatana, which means literally placing near, is the, uh, the basis for patana, uh, so um, together, satipatthana would be presence of mindfulness or attending with mindfulness would be, would be the translation that he prefers. So as I mentioned, there are four objects. There is body, feelings, uh, mind, and mental objects. And um, the way that the, the teachings are laid out, they go from coarse to subtle. Body is coarse, Body is pretty coarse. You know, we can attend to our body. Uh, feeling tone is a little more subtle, so that comes next. The mind, states of mind, that's yet more subtle. And last but not the least, mental objects are the most subtle of of the objects. So that's left for the end uh, in in this in this um, in this exposition when the mind has the concentration and the stability to pay attention to mental objects. Uh, What's an example of a mental object? Yeah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Third week. Yeah, so uh, basically, um, there, they, okay, I'll give you the list. So there, there are the hindrances, aggregates, the sense fears, awakening factors, and the noble truth are the mental objects. So, see, that's why I was sort of holding it to, to the third so that I can really expose it. But now you have a flavor as to it. Does that, is that helpful? Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. So, um, so as you see, the, 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 the setup is from coarser, because we can all pay attention to our bodies, but, but mental objects, hindrances, aggregates, yeah, you know, what are those? Okay, we'll get to that. Um, so, so, um, that's, that's the way it's laid out in the sutta from coarser contemplations to finer ones. Yet, it doesn't mean that, we, that, that um, a um, practitioner necessarily has to follow that path. Some people have the predilection to, um, to start with feel, mind, to, to mind objects or feeling tone, and that's perfectly fine. Um, and also another thing I wanted to say is that the, um, uh, the sutta is... is um, very um, detailed and, and a full set of instructions. And many teachers and many practices can take one of the teachings, for example, contemplating the breath or the body. And, um, and the, um, in the commentaries, the, the belief is that 
if you expand and if you really practice one of the objects, one of the contemplation objects, very thoroughly, the mind will be so stable that then the um, the other objects in the field will also become. Uh, uh, you'll notice them more in your experience. So, for example, if you concentrate on um, on um, uh, breathing as the object, as your mind becomes more stable, you will also notice feeling tones and, say, hindrances also, if, if you don't necessarily focus on them. So, um, so as to say that practicing all of these is not necessary, however, there is a reason why the Buddha has put them all uh, in this basket. And um, the, um, the uh, simile um, that the Buddha uses is... Um, one of the four chariots for the four satipatthanas, each chariot, which is each of the um, contemplations, um, are, are riding towards an intersection. And in the middle of the intersection, there's a heap of dust. So each chariot alone can scatter the heap of dust. But the four chariots together will be much more effective for... for um, uh, for scattering the heap of dust. So, the point is, if you contemplated just the body or just the feeling tones alone, still there would be a lot of you, the realization would occur. However, doing all of these four contemplations together is much more profound and leads to later stages of enlightenment. Is that clear? Yeah. Question. So when you say, I guess the the path of the contemplations go from coarse to finer, do you mean <clears throat> finer as an abstraction, become more abstract, or finer in the sense that the different levels of understanding, so like peeling an onion? Mm, okay. So um, I actually mean it, um, I mean it both literally and finer in terms of the level of attention that's needed. So for example, let's say... Um, within the contemplation of the body, right? Starting, say, with body postures, etc. cetera. It's, it's, it's coarse. And then going to the breath and then noticing finer distinctions about the breath. For example, at first, just that you're breathing and then later beginning, middle, and end, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so more... Uh, um, more granularity. Exactly, more granularity for which you need more stabili- stability of the mind to notice the subtleties. Because at the very beginning, for example, if you want to just notice feeling tones may not be available to you. But after you have some stability of the mind, then you can see Vedana or the feeling tone after you have the stability. And that stabi- stability could be built with a coarser object, which a more, okay, here's the body. I can feel my body. Here it is. But feeling tone, hmm, where is it? Ooh, ooh, there it is. It arises in one moment, and then, then it's gone again. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Okay. Another question, yeah. When you say... Um as the mind gets more stable, is that as the mind is dragged off in thoughts less, or is there another definition? Yeah, so um, I'm using stability somewhat synonymously with with concentration, for example, and and part of that is the mind being dragged less and less to thoughts. So when the mind is more stable and dragged le- less and less, then the mind can stay on an object and notice finer distinctions and and more subtle activities, both in the body and the mind. Right? If if you don't have to do context switching every two seconds, you know the mind goes, oh, back again. Oh, where was I? It's like if you're reading a book, if you keep looking at the TV and coming back, where was I? You know, it doesn't work as well. Right? When you read it, very like ah, that's what the poet means. So it, it's it is it is that yes. Any other questions before we move on? Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so, so the last thing I want to say before actually talking about the body specifically is um, that at the end of the Satipatthana Sutta, it's mentioned that if someone practices the Satipatthanas, the four Satipatthanas, they will achieve either final liberation, which is the fourth stage of enlightenment, or if they have a, res- a trace of clinging left, the third stage of enlightenment, with either within seven years, and then it goes says six years, five years, becomes less and less and less, and then the last thing is seven days. So if one practices diligently for seven days, the Satipatthana Sutta, one can um, taste enlightenment. So, um, so I'll leave that as motivation. <laughs> so um, let's talk about let's talk about the the first Satipatthana, which is the body, actually. And within the body, there are um, six specific instructions about contemplating the body. And as we go through it, I, I would be more specific about how we each can use these instructions in our own practice to, no, to notice um, uh, to, to notice body. So uh, breathing, posture, activities, anatomical parts, elements, corpse in decay. Those are the six contemplations of the body. Um, as a side note, there is some arguments that uh, Venerable Analyu argues that uh, the positioning of breathing at the at at, uh, at the beginning before posture and activities um, is in the Pali suttas, but not in the Chinese suttas. In the Chinese suttas, it becomes after postures and activities, and he feels that this is actually more consistent because. Posture, noticing your posture, noticing your movement, your activity is coarser, going back to that coarse distinction, coarse fine. Whereas breathing already becomes a little finer, just noticing your breathing instead of, oh, I'm walking or I'm sitting. It's coarser. So he points that out, and, and, and that makes sense to me. Um, and um, also in terms of the first couple of uh, posture and activities, the, the verbs that are used in the suttas um, are verbs that pertain to um, um, knowing, knowing something. Know that you're standing or sitting or lying down uh, or kneeling. Um, For the first two, it's knowing, whereas for breathing, the first part is knowing. The second part, it's training, using the the word training, train thus which again becomes more, more refined already. And then for the last satipatthana, for the last uh, uh, instruct, for the corpse in decay and elements, etc., the verb that is chosen in the suttas is um, comparing or considering. Uh, again, more, you know, cons- uh, the verb being um, considering or comparing is much more analytical than knowing. And again, that's another level in which the, pr- the progress of the instructions become more and more complex as the sutta goes on and, and, um, and helps us to know in our practice to start with just knowing and then later, when the mind is more stable, to do the, the a- analyzing. Any questions so far? Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So... Um, with the body contemplation, an overall thing to keep in mind is that the goal is not to uh, develop repulsion about the body, even though there are some parts of the sutta that use negative words about the body. But the idea is to have a balanced and detached attitude about the body and not take it as me or mind and I. Um, and especially given how much... Um, how, how, how much for, uh, in the West, especially as, as women and, and men, there are issues about body image, my body, her body, his body, j- seeing the body just as a body and having a sense of, of um, 
um, detachment perhaps, a, a balanced look of it's just the body, it's just the body, it can be very, very helpful, not just in our practice on the cushion, but in general, in our lives. So the mindfulness of the body can be a strong post for tethering the senses. And I think this is a very important uh, aspect. So there's a simile where, similar to a post, where a post uh, where six animals are tied to the post and the animals try to run away, they try to run away and, and, um, and escape and struggle. Sooner or later, the animals get tired and they lie down to rest. In the same way, uh, mindfulness of the body can be that strong post. And whenever you see, you hear something about the six, what do you think those six are? The six senses, exactly, right, the six senses. So the six senses uh, of seeing and hearing and, and smelling and tasting and and the mind door being the sixth sense, they all want to get distracted and, and, and you know go all over the place. But mindfulness of the body can be a very strong tether to really calm the mind. So whenever you feel your mind is going all over the place, my advice is try mindfulness of the body. It's a very can be a very strong tether. Sure, yeah. Yes. Next week. Yes. Week. yes. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this week I'm just talking about the body, the contemplations on the body, and. And then practice. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yes. So, so, uh, for example, what I just mentioned in terms of uh, when the mind is really scattered, bring, making the contemplation of the body the focus, that. That is one. That is one pointer. So I'll be providing more pointers for practice. Is that what you were asking, or, or even more, more specifically? I admit, are you going to instruct, like, do a meditation? Oh, so what I did. So what I led at the beginning, uh, b- before we started the the discussion, I was actually bringing in. If you noticed, there was a lot about the body in the, in the instructions that I gave. Right, noticing the breathing, noticing your posture, noticing the heat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And as you see, these are exactly what are covered in the Satipatthana Sutta. So I've already done that. Okay. So, so the, can can you hear that? Yeah. It's on. Yeah. So, is the next, say, for example, next week when we start, are you going to do the practice of whatever the next one is? It fe- is it feeling? Yes, feeling tone. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I, every week I'll try to fit the um, the instructions in the guided meditation beforehand, so that people get a sense of what it is. So it's kind of stealth, but it's there, and and you'll see the similarity. I mean, you you you'll hear it as as I talk about the the sutta a little more. So 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 far I've really been setting it up, so, and since this is the first week, there's there's been a long setup. Okay, so let me get to the breathing. So. So uh, the breathing, for example, uh, the, the, the uh, sutta starts, the, the, the breathing instruction is, and how monks, does he, regard, um, does he in regard to the body abide contemplating the body? Here gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or an empty hut, he sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, set his body erect and established mindfulness in front of him, Mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. Breathing in long, he knows, I breathe in long. Breathing out long, he knows, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he knows, I breathe in short. Breathing out short, he knows, I breathe out short. He trains thus, I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe out experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe in calming the bodily formations. He trains thus, I shall breathe out calming the bodily formations, etc. So 
the few things I want to point out practice-wise, as we've already done in our um, uh, in our sit earlier today, is um, there's a pointer here about posture, about the formal sitting practice, uh, 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 the formal sitting uh, posture for the back being straight and erect. So that's important. Um, and in this case, the cross being cross-legged, whereas, of course, we sit on chairs, and that's perfectly fine. Um, the reference here in the sutta to the front, to have, um, uh, to, to, to contemplate breathing in the front, um, it could refer to literally at the nostrils, and some teachers specifically teach attending to the breath at the nostrils, um, whereas some uh, teach it as figuratively, directly, having the breath directly in front of you, giving it primary attention. Uh, the next set of instructions uh, is long or short. And again, when, when the attention is not very stable, breathing can be longer. And then when the breath becomes subtle, when the attention becomes stronger, the breath becomes very subtle and becomes shorter. So that's why in the sutta it talks about breathing long, noticing breathing long in and out, and then breathing long, uh, short in and out. Um, where the sutta talks about noticing the whole body, there are two ways to, to construe that. One is the whole body of the breath, which is the beginning, middle, and end of the breath, as we covered in the instructions. So noticing the body of the breath. And um, also figuratively, which is noticing the breathing in the whole body which I mentioned, you could be noticing your breath either in your abdomen, chest, or nostrils, or in your whole body, the movement of it. So that's another way to be practicing the instructions. And lastly here, um, talks about calming the bodily formations. So that could be construed two ways. One is literal, which is the in and out breath. So calming the in and out breath, the, the breath itself having a calming breath. Another way is figurative, which is calming the body, the, calming the body as one breathes in and out. So both of these are the same because as you calm your breathing, your body will calm. If, as you calm your body, your breathing will, will become even and calm. So, so which, whichever way it's practiced in your mind, it doesn't matter. It will have the same effect. So any questions so far? Any questions at all about breathing so far? Okay. So um, the next instructions are about the posture. And this part is particularly interesting to me, actually. And I'll tell you why. Um, for it's, the instructions are very short. Um, again, monks, when walking, he knows I am walking. When standing, he knows I am standing. When sitting, he knows I am sitting. When lying down, he knows I am lying down. Or he knows accordingly however his body is disposed. So the instructions start from the course walking, just walking around, just knowing that you're walking. And these instructions are really helpful for, for, continuity, for continuity of body awareness, for anchoring the awareness in the body any time of the day, just knowing that you're walking, knowing that you're standing, knowing that you're sitting, just as you're sitting where you are and listening to me, just being anchored in just the simple knowledge of the act, whatever it is you're doing. And this is pretty coarse, right? Pretty simple. I'm sitting. Sitting is like this. Take a moment just to notice. Sitting is like this, just as you're listening to me. Get anchored in your body. Do you feel the difference in the quality of your attention? When you feel a little more anchored in your body, just noticing that you're sitting. Another interesting pointer here is about the relationship between the posture and the state of mind and how the two affect each other. Um, so, in fact, there are some meditation instructions 
that suggests that you intentionally alter the state of your posture to see how it changes your state of mind. And similarly, change the state of your mind to see how it changes your posture. So just as you're sitting now, notice your posture. What is your posture? If you, if this was your, if, if you were frozen forever in this posture, what, what would it be like? What, what kind of a state of mind does this posture represent, what you're sitting right now? Just think about it for a moment. So what if, for example, you, you walked like this, just, just to try it out for 10 minutes? How do you think that would change your uh, state of mind? Or if you walked like this for 10 minutes, how would that change your state of mind, do you think? Um, just think about it for a moment, and I'll tell you a story. So recently I was uh, on a retreat part of the teaching team and one yogi actually on his own uh, stumbled upon this contemplation and he said um, you know I noticed that people walking around me walk very differently and um, and at first I was being very judgmental about it but I decided maybe there's something about their physicality or maybe the state of mind they're in that is causing this so I decided to Try it out. So I would intentionally drag my feet and see how I would feel and, and observe how my state of mind would change. And it would change. And I would, I would intentionally limp and see how that would change my state of mind. Um, and I, I, I was impressed that he had run into it all by himself. You know, and here it is in the Satipatthana Sutta. So... so uh, observe that about yourself. Observe that when you're walking around, when you're sitting, when you're lying, when, what, what is your posture representing? How is that forming the state of your mind? How is that forming your personality? There is a great TED Talk by a social psychologist uh, by the name of Amy Cuddy. Uh, go check it out. It, um, where he shows, where she shows power posing and power, po- you, you know, that some people, yes, yeah, they've seen this. Okay, check it out tonight. Go, you know, uh, put put Amy and Cuddy in, in in Google TED Talk. So, oh yes, C U D D Y, yeah, C U D D Y. So the idea is, and it's a great talk um, about how uh, your your posture really affects your state of mind. And, and she has this thing called power posing, which is uh, standing like this with your, with your feet out and your arms out, just standing like this, like a stance of victory. Do that for, I forget how many minutes, she says, five, two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, I don't know how, like ten minutes is probably too long, your arms get tired. But she says, just do that for a few minutes and see how it changes your state of mind. And it turns out that even if you can't, um, uh, if you, even for, especially for people who don't feel confident, if they do that for five minutes before a job interview, it statistically significantly changes the way both they react, behave, and the way they're perceived because their state of their mind changes based on their posture. And in fact, uh, the level of testosterone and cortisol levels in the brain change. Uh, she's done some studies about this. So if you are not convinced that your posture affects your state of mind, go check this out. So, so, um, so yeah, so noticing your posture. Noticing your posture, another pointer. Um, another pointer for this part of the practice is um, when you're sitting, being aware of the minor postural adjustments that you want to do when you're sitting in practice and for example you've taken a while not to not to move for a few minutes noticing the desire to move to to adjust your posture Um, and that is a way for us to notice this constant effort constant desire in our brain to avoid pain and seek ease 
in our body and minds, just to see that, just to see, notice this, this evolutionarily uh, um, tendency. So any questions so far? Comments, questions? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Hi. I was in a temple in Japan, and I was a temporary guest, and so I did the schedule of meditation and work. And there was someone there, a Japanese person, uh, maybe in his 30s, who looked very distraught. I mean, he was sort of bending over and, you know, looked like something was wrong. It turned out he'd lost his job and gotten divorced and stuff. And so he was staying in the temple for a while. But he was accompanied by a young monk who, they don't do talk therapy, but like the guy would start leaning over and he said, Tanaka-san, Tanaka-san. He'd straighten him up. Just remind him. Mm. And he did this during meals and when we did the services. And I was touched because as far as I saw, the young monk never showed any impatience. It was just, come on, Tanaka-san, Tanaka-san, you've got to get it like this. Nice. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> so I will move on um, and I do have too much to say so I'm going to cut out pieces and um, yes um, and, and leave those as an exercise for the curious to go and see the to, to read the, the sutta yourself and also Analia's book on Satipatthana is excellent for those who are curious and really want to get a detailed exposition. Um, so the next part is on activities. So knowing that you're eating, drinking, consuming food, uh, with clearly knowing, knowing uh, when you're defecating and urinating, he acts clearly knowing, when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, etc., clearly knowing. Um, so basically knowing whatever you're doing to know what you're doing. And here the, the, the idea, the concept of clearly knowing, knowing what is the purpose? Why are you doing what you're doing? Because sometimes we just do things, like we go to the fridge and open the fridge without knowing why we're doing it, right? Okay, why are you doing what you're doing? So bringing awareness to the activities, um, to the purpose, to suitability. Is this a suitable thing I'm doing? Um, what is my, this relation, the relationship of what I'm doing to, to my practice, to my life? Is it, um, am I clearly understanding what's going on? Is it, um, am I adopting a restrained and dignified behavior? Is this the right thing to stomp into my, um, I don't know, my uh, co-worker's office and start screaming? Is this dignified behavior? Am, uh, is it, what am I doing? Be, being clear of what it is you're doing. So I won't talk more about this part, and I'm going to move to the next part so that at least I, I briefly touch each of the five, um, uh, briefly. Um, so each of the six, sorry, each of the six, uh, briefly. So the next one is anatomical parts. And uh, basically it's contemplating uh, the 32 parts of the body, uh, for those of you who heard it. And the list is long, but just to give you a sense, head, hairs, body, hairs, nail, teeth, skin, flesh, sinew, bone, bone marrow, kidney, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, bowels, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints and urine. Yes. Uh, quite a long list and not very attractive, I have to admit. But I think that's exactly the point, to see that it's just a body. It's just a body with flesh, skin, and bone, and, and um, snot, and spittle, and grease. It's just the body. Um, so... Um, one reason for this practice is um, to see the unattractiveness of the body and to bring out disenchantment. However, it, not to do it so intensely that one gets depressed. So there's, there's a story, there's a famous story in the suttas that some of you probably know. So the Buddha 
um, gave this contemplation to some monks, and um, they did it with quite a bit of. Um, uh, actually, not, no, no, sorry, not this one. It's the next one, not this one. It was the corpse in decay. Oh yes, they got so depressed, they um, I think they um, committed suicide. Um, so um, so basically, the, 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 these these practice the, these final practices should be done with with a balanced mind. Um, and not uh, really trying to bring out the aversion too much, but just seeing things as they are. Um, so, actually, no, sorry, according to my notes, yeah. So, so, yeah, the Buddha instructed some monks in seclusion. Yeah, it was this one. It was the 32 parts of the body. Okay, so, so when, if you practice it, don't bring too much aversion, because you don't want to get depressed. You just want to see the body as a body. Um, so, um, the last... I'm just going to briefly mention the couple of remaining things so that at least we have a few minutes for comments. Um, the, uh, the fifth contemplation is the elements, which is uh, basically the earth element, water element, fire, and air, which are felt in the body phenomenologically as, as hardness, softness, um, uh, uh, fluidity, uh, liquidity and motion, and if you remember, I was leading you in, in in feeling the hardness and softness and heat in your body as some of the elements. So um, it can be a very, str- very um, profound contemplation because at some point you you lose the sensation of yourself as a being, as a self, and it's just these sensations, just these sensations. It's just phenomenologically, it's just a sen- bunch of sensations. Um, that's all it is. Um, and last but not the least is contemplating a corpse in decay, which requires mental visualization. Again, not going too far into repulsiveness, um, uh, but contemplating death as an ultimate destiny. And one thing that uh, came to my mind is this quote that I'm going to butcher, but something like, all quarrels end when one thinks of of death. So um, if you have quarrels, if you have an ongoing quarrel with someone, if you think that you're going to die and they're going to die, um, ultimately it's all of our destinies. It, it, change, it can help change one's perspective. So if you have a quarrel, this would be a good contemplation uh, to bring in to your sphere, uh, contemplating death, which could be either corpse in decay or could be done also as the uncertainty of the next breath, um, which can also be helpful, this contemplation, for becoming free of fear of death, because we're all going to die. That's for sure. There's no question about it. We're all going to die. It's just a matter of when. So by contemplating death, we can actually become free of the fear of it and live more freely. So with that, there's about four minutes left for any comments, and I really just quickly went through the last parts. There's so much in this sutta. So any questions or comments in the remaining minutes? You mentioned um, someone to read to to find out more about this. About the, can you spell the name of the person? Oh yeah, yeah, Analayo, A N A, L A Y O, Analayo, Biko Analayo, and uh, or Analio could be spelled could be pronounced as well, and um, and the book is um, Satipatthana Sutta. So if you just Google that on Amazon. It's available, and it's a great book. Sure. Yeah, please. So is it fair to say that this teaching is a path to enlightenment? Is it a path? Yeah, the path. I mean, the Buddha basically said, if you practice this, you'll achieve nirvana. 
Yes. Okay. All right. And so... Um, <laughs> he seems to say that. Yeah. You know something about it. Um, and so my understanding of this is it's a refinement of awareness and attention. What do you mean by refinement of... of awareness uh, and awareness, attention. Oh, awareness and attention. Yeah. I see. So what's the correlation between enlightenment and awareness and attention? Why is it that if we become more aware and attentive, do we become enlightened? Because you get to see things as they are. Because you get to see things not with the evolutionarily blind hole, blinders that you have on and, and acting in a certain way, but actually seeing things a lot more clearly. And that increase in the level of attention, which also, it's not attention alone, though. That's the important thing to keep in mind. So as attention and awareness uh, increases, there are other things that increase with it. And that would be your wisdom. You'll have various insights along the way. So as the insights grow, it's not just the attention that, that pops one into into nirvana, but all the realizations along the way that change your perspective about the way to be and about the way uh, you are and, and life is and existence is. Does that help? Well, it just, yeah. I mean, I think that um, I think nirvana is a very difficult concept to understand. And in the remaining, actually there's no remaining minutes. It's going to be hard, but I'm happy to talk with you afterwards and, and maybe sometime I'll give a talk about, about that as well. But it's, it's, uh, it's usually described in negative terms what it is not instead of what it is. But uh, if you're having contemplations about what Nibbana is, I encourage you to continue to sit with the question. It can be a a wonderful motivator for practice, as long as you don't drive yourself crazy of wanting to understand it mentally and intellectually, but experientially. As, as you practice and as your wisdom and as your insights grow, n- trusting that you're having momentary moments of, of, um, of awakening along the way and trusting that you understand more and more. Thank you. So it is 9 o'clock. Thank you so much for your attention.